We're going to start a new series tonight, although from what I hear, we would have been fine staying in the other series for a couple more weeks, so uh, we're going to have to run season two uh, next year on Idol Smashers. We'll come back, we'll add a whole new rack of idols, and we'll smash them together, amen? Amen, amen. Tonight, uh, the Lord put on my heart and Pastor Corey's heart a short series called Soul Care. Um, You know, your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's It's the essence of your identity. And when the weight of the world presses against you, it is your soul that bears so much of that weight and that pressure. And that can bog you down and that can pull your focus and that can make you feel all kinds of different things and um, change the way you think, change the way you feel, change what you desire, what your appetites even are. And yet a soul that is strong in the Lord, that is rooted in the love of God, produces an inner strength and an inner resilience that is unmatched and unable to be taken from you. So you have the seat of your identity, your soul, that can be under so much influence at any given time. And I figured it would be good for us to take a moment to make sure our souls are in good shape. And so what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is look at the words of David through the Psalms and see how David, a man who speaks often of his soul, addresses some of the issues of his own soul. Tonight we're going to be in Psalm 63. Go ahead and stand with me for the reading of the word of God. I'm going to read the entire Psalm with you. And then we'll talk about a few things that the Lord showed me in this passage. Psalm 63 a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, and your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Would you pray with me? Father God, speak to us through this text tonight. Minister to our hearts, our minds our bodies, every part of us, Father. We just yield ourselves in this evening to you. Even as the song says, Lord, we come, we lay down our crowns, our expectation, our ambition, our desire and our motivation. We lay it down that we might lift you up. Father, would you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that would understand what the spirit of the living God is saying to us tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Would you say amen? amen? Amen. You can be seated. I've got a theory might be more of an educated guess. Either way, I think I'm right. Um, if <laughs> We're going to test it here in a minute too, so big words <laughs> coming out early. Uh, my guess is this, though. My guess is that if, um, if I polled all of you tonight, 
and I asked you how you're doing, like how are you, like how are you really doing? Not like, oh, I'm doing good, Pastor, yeah, we're good. Like, like how are you really doing? We began to actually press a little bit into the condition of your life and where your soul is. My guess is that 80% of you would respond one of two ways. You would either respond with, I'm busy or I'm tired. Is anybody busy? And is anybody tired in the room tonight? Yeah, okay. Nailed it. Definitely. Don't look around. But I'm, I'm. if we begin to peel back the layers on that, I think uh, what we mean when we say that, what we mean when we say I'm busy or what we say, mean when we say I'm tired, I think we begin to find something interesting because, you know, we all, sure, we keep a fairly busy schedule. A lot of stuff on the calendars, jobs, families, kids, perhaps. Maybe you serve in the church. Clearly, you come to church twice a week, so shout out to you all. Uh, you might uh, play sports, work out. Maybe you have a second job. Maybe you have hobbies that you keep on the side. Some of you are busy trying to maintain an active social life. Uh, others are you are busy trying to maintain an inactive social life. Um, and either way, if we looked at our calendars or our things, I'm sure we're all busy but my theory is that the busyness that we're talking about doesn't come from a full schedule. It comes from a full mind. And although we have a lot going on, all of us could find more time for new things. All of us can pivot. We can all, everybody's got more time than we think. Uh, whenever there's a new priority or something you want to do, you make time. You find time. But when we say we're so busy, we don't have space for anything else. I think what we're talking about is how full our minds are as they are consumed with thoughts about everything. There's so much we have to do in any given day. All of those relationships don't just take up calendar space. They take up mental space. They take up emotional space. And some even take up spiritual space. We're always thinking, how did the last interaction go? Was I awkward? Was I good? Did I say what I meant to say? How did they interpret it? Thinking about where I'm going to next. What do I need for the next thing? What's happening there? Who do I need to be? How do I need to act? We're assessing, evaluating, readjusting, pivoting, always carrying thoughts in our minds and burdens on our souls at any given time. And all of that noise in our mind, it keeps us occupied at all times. And so it leads us to a busyness that results in a degree of exhaustion. See, we're busy and we're tired because those two things are linked. The reason we're tired is because we're so occupied. But you become tired, not like a physical tired, although, yes, we all are physically tired in some way or another. But the type of tired I'm talking about tonight is a type of tired that a nap doesn't fix. It's the type of tired that a vacation doesn't help. It's the type of tired that no matter how many hours of scrolling or just turning my brain off, you don't feel any better at the end of that reprieve. Talk about being tired on the inside. You ever been tired on the inside? It's a different type of tired. This is not tired, I'm gonna fall asleep, I need a couple, I need a 20 minute power nap. This is, I have no more capacity in my soul. I've got nothing left to give. When you're tired on the inside, you feel drained, overwhelmed, and exhausted. Your fuse is short, your attention span is shorter. You feel like you can't do anything, but you have the weight of everything. You're just, you're tired on the inside. Tonight, I want to talk about six questions to ask yourself when you're tired on the inside. David in Psalm 63 was a king when he wrote this psalm. And yet it says he was out in the wilderness of Judah. David finds himself run out of his kingdom, run out of his throne, run out of his family by one of his own sons, Absalom. 
Absalom was enraged at his father David for the way that he felt his father David mishandled a situation with his other brother Amnon and his sister Tamar. Amnon sexually violated his sister Tamar. Absalom loved Tamar. Absalom wanted justice. He wanted vengeance. He wanted the wrong made right. Nobody here would say Absalom's in the wrong. We would all say to some degree, Absalom, you go and get your justice. Nothing wrong with that. But David is also a father. And so David is tries to figure out how to marry justice with mercy because it's very hard for a father to sentence a son to execution. So David shows a degree of mercy and Absalom doesn't sit well with Absalom. So Absalom uh, forms a rebellion by sitting in the city gates and speaking ill of his father. And it grows to the degree that David and his group have to flee from the kingdom out into the wilderness to figure out what to do next. What I'm saying is you thought your family had some drama in it. You might have been kicked out of your house one time, but you never got kicked out of a house you own. You never got unseated off the throne on which you sat because the Lord God himself anointed you to sit there. You have never expressed and experienced family dysfunction at this level. And yet nobody hurts us like family hurts us. And I wonder for how many of us who are tired on the inside, the reason we're tired on the inside has something to do with our family and what's going on relationally in that space. David was in the middle of unimaginable circumstances within his own household. And he's out in the wilderness, and I think David is just tired, deep down on the inside. So let me know that we who find ourselves in that seat to find ourselves in good company because even a king can get tired, even a CEO can get exhausted, even a father can get to the end of himself. A dad's supposed to have all the answers all the time, but David finds himself in the wilderness writing this psalm. And I want to walk us through this psalm, and I want to ask six questions that can help us when we're tired on the inside. Six questions that will help us care for our souls in a way that honors God. First question is this, what do you believe? See, when you're tired on the inside, you begin feeling all kinds of feelings. All kinds of feelings begin to surface, and I think it's appropriate and a good place to start by surfacing those feelings. If you just want a little bit of therapy tonight, just it might be a good thing to write down in your journal what you're feeling at any given moment throughout the course of your day. Surface those feelings, state those feelings, release those feelings to God because those feelings are real. But realize what's going on when you find yourself in a place like David finds himself. This difficult circumstance is not testing his feeling. The difficult circumstance is testing his belief. Whenever we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, it's going to test what we believe to be true about God. So the first question is, what do you believe? Who do you know God to be? David begins first line, oh God, you are my God. Before he gets to his problems, before he gets to his stresses, before he gets to what's wrong with his life, why he's a victim, why God's unfair, why this and why that, before he starts there, he starts with acknowledging that God is God. And when you declare out of your mouth what you believe, it builds a foundation upon which you can stand. So I know you might be feeling all kinds of way at any given time, exhausted, spent, burnt out, overwhelmed, all this, that, and the other, and I got it. Those are feelings. Feelings change. Beliefs do not. 
So we begin by declaring who God is. And to me, when I think about it, I like to think about who God is in terms of who God has been to specific people throughout the Bible. So I think about my God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a God who is faithful to generations. I think of a God, the God of Noah, who delivered his righteous man through the waters of the flood. I think of God, the God of Moses, who didn't deliver him through the waters, but literally through the waters of the Red Sea, out of bondage into freedom. I think about the God of David who slayed Goliath, the God of Israel who knocked down Jericho's walls. I think about the God of Gideon who defeated the Midianites. I think of God who is ever present, ever faithful, ever loving, all knowing, all times, all places to all people. I think of the God of the Bible who knocks down prison walls, who changes environments, who sets captives free and gives hope to the hopeless. When I think about who my God is, I begin to tell him what I believe about him based on what I know about him. And then I say this because David didn't just say you are any God. He said you are my God. Which means those things that were true for them also are true for me. This is a God who sees me. This is a God who loves me. This is a God whose promises are for me, who's faithful to me, who cares about what I'm going through here and now. And if he can deliver them, he can deliver me. Oh God, you are my God. Difficult circumstances will have you feel all kinds of way, but you got to tell your feelings what you believe. You got to tell them who God is and whose God he is. The path to healing, the path to caring for your soul starts with God's relationship to you, but then progresses to your relationship to God. What do you believe? Second question, what do you want? What do you want? And honestly, when we find ourselves in these moments, that's a very challenging question to answer because sometimes we don't know what we want. So it's worth a moment to sit down as you journal through where you're at. What do I really want out of this? David continues. He says, earnestly, I seek you. My soul, it thirsts for you. My flesh, it faints for you as in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. In our lives, we prioritize whatever is either most important or most urgent. You will get up at 5 a.m. if you have a flight to catch, and you'll bounce out of bed, get dressed, get packed, get in the car, and go, because that is urgent. That flight is leaving with, with or without you. So you will live your life around something that is urgent. But if you don't have a flight, and your alarm goes off at 5 a.m., what might be most important to you is a little bit more rest. <laughs> Nothing has changed except for the priority. What is important in what is urgent, and we do first what we deem is most important or most urgent in our life. We rarely let those things wait until later. We take care of them right away. So when your soul is weary and when you're tired on the inside, what is the most important thing to you in that moment? What is the most urgent thing to you in that moment? In other words, what do you want? The phrase, earnestly I seek, is the Hebrew word shahar. Shahar uh, shares a root word for dawn or early in the morning. And the way it's used here, the way it's used throughout scripture, uh, 
has a consistent connection to first thing in the morning or the moment of dawn when the sun first comes up. So some translations actually start this psalm as early I seek you, not just earnestly I seek you. So what David is saying is my soul is thirsty for you. My flesh is exhausted. I've got nothing left to give. It's like I've been out wandering around this desert and I just want to get back to where you are. The most important thing that I can do in this moment is find the presence of the Lord. Because first thing in the morning, from the moment I wake up, from the moment I open my eyes, earnestly, genuinely, with everything that I've got, what I want, Lord, is to be where you are. So my question is, what do you want? What do you want as you seek to get out of the place that you're in? They say the best thing you can do in the morning right after you wake up is drink a full cup of water. Kickstart your metabolism, increase your red blood cell count, flush out toxins, much better than coffee. Should wait 90 minutes before you drink coffee, all that good stuff. David is saying, first thing I do when I wake up is I got to get me a drink of living water. From the moment I open my eyes, I want to flush out the toxins. I want to get rid of everything that comes against me. I want to start my day with the only one who satisfies my soul. Human body can go three days without water. Just three days. How long can you go without reading your word? How long can you go without praying? See, a lot of people, when they're dehydrated, they actually don't know they're dehydrated. See, this is the trickiness of this thing. You go, man, I haven't read my Bible in like two weeks. I feel okay, though. But do you? Perhaps you're dehydrated and you don't even know it. Perhaps that hunger, that thirst in your soul for something better to be in your spirit, perhaps that exhaustion you're feeling comes from the fact that you're not drinking from the stream of living water. Perhaps not just every three days, but every day you need to be in your word and with your God drinking something that refuels and replenishes your soul. You've got to think about your soul like a living organism. I think you should think about your soul as if it's a plant. Like if you're not giving it enough water, it will shrivel up and turn brown and die. You understand? We have to take care of and tend to our soul. And there's a living water that supplies it. Here's the picture that I want you to have about what it means to be fed by God like this. This is Jeremiah 17, verses 7 and 8. Jeremiah writes this. He says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Some of us live like we go to get well water from the Bible every day. We got to go all the way. We got to make all these plans to clear our schedule, do that, have perfect situation and go get a little cup of water and drink from it. And that'll last us enough to get us through the first 30 minutes of our day. Jeremiah says, I don't want 
you to go and pick up a little bit of water. I don't want you to have a cup of water, a bucket of water, a pail of water. I want you to plant yourself down by the river. I want you to send your roots down under the ground to be rooted and grounded in the love of God. So no matter what happens up here, rain, heat, drought, hail, storm, whatever, your roots go down deep and draw daily from the source of water that feeds you day by day, moment by moment. We don't want to go and get, we want to live in. I want you to be like a tree planted by streams of living water. What do you want? Do you want to be in the pattern of drought and then refilling? Do you want to be in the pattern of your battery draining, then having to go get it charged? Or do you just want to live plugged into the source so that every day that battery is at 100% because you're not drawing from within, you're drawing from without. David earnestly and early goes after the Lord, seeking his presence, his comfort, and his words because he had a thirst. So he puts his roots down deep into the Lord and draws from an eternal wellspring of living waters. The first and most thing that he wanted to be in the presence, drawing from the source. What do you believe? What do you want? And then ask yourself, what have I seen? David says, verse 2, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. See, some of us, we're like, I'll be honest. When I feel the way I feel, what I want, I don't know that I necessarily want. Like, that's not necessarily what I'm thinking is I want the presence of God. Like, what I want is the pain to stop. What I want is the thing to change. So, So what makes David special? What makes David the standard here by which we want to model our lives? Why did David long for God like this when sometimes we feel like we don't long for God like this? Why was David so thirsty to be in the presence of the Lord? It's because he had tasted and seen that the Lord was good. It had to do with what he had experienced before. You know, when I go to the movie theaters, there's only one drink I get. It's the blue raspberry slushy. Nothing else compares. Nothing else is quite right. Nothing else satisfies my thirst like the blue raspberry slushy from any movie theater whenever they have it in stock. It's mostly broken. They rarely have it. So it's like a special treat. And once you get a taste, every time you come back to the well, you want that same taste. David tasted how good the Lord was. And then he saw that he was good. And so he says in this moment, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. I have been in your presence before. I have beheld your glory, your awesomeness, and your power. What do you think motivates that type of hunger? It's because he's had it before. So what have you seen with your eyes? Think back over the testimony of your life. What have you seen God do? How have you seen God move? Think about those moments where God has been so near to you. He's drawn so close to you. He's been so present to you. Think about those moments where God provided for you in a moment. You didn't think you had any other means of provision, but God came through. Think about that healing that you believed God for and he delivered. Think about that moment where you came into the sanctuary at your lowest and you just needed anybody, somebody to see you, to acknowledge you, to give you hope or something. And the Lord God himself met you. 
It wasn't some greeter at the door. It was the God of the universe who came and touched your heart and spoke to where you were and he moved within you. What have you seen him do? And if you haven't seen him do it for you, what have you seen him do for somebody else? Look at the testimony of the, of the lives of the people in your life. And if you haven't seen it in their lives, what have you read that God has done? There is more than enough evidence and more than enough testimony to look upon the facts and the reality of who God is and what he has done to allow that to be fuel to your faith, to inspire you out of the place where you're like, I don't know if I really want to go pursue or seek God. Let me just, before you start feeling like you got to get up and chase after the Lord, Remind yourself what you believe, state what you want, and then just start saying what you've seen. God, I've seen you be faithful to me once. I've seen you be kind to me. I've seen you forgive me. I've seen you've come through in the perfect timing. When I demanded my timing, I was all wrong, but God, you moved just in the right moment. I have seen you wait until it's exactly right to do what only you can do. Tell the Lord and tell your soul what you have seen. David says, you've proved to be my help once. You've done it before, so you'll do it again. So once you've considered not only what you've seen, the fourth question is, what do you know? What do you know? David knew your steadfast love is better than life. So my lips will praise you. In other words, I've seen what you can do. I've seen how amazing you are. I know of your love. It's better than anything I've experienced in this lifetime. And because of what I know about you, catch this, not because of what I'm experiencing, but what I know about you, my lips are going to praise you. David worships not out of a place of experiencing the goodness of God in this moment. In fact, if you talk about, if we keep going in depth about the uh, context of the passage, in this moment, he's really not experiencing the goodness of God. He's not beholding the power and the glory of God. He's most likely in a cave in the wilderness of his own land. But your steadfast love is better than life. So even here in this cave, when I think about your love and how faithful and how good you are, I would rather praise you in a cave and know your love here than sit on my throne back in Zion and not know you at all. What do you know? Do you know about his love? Because David specifically states that it was the steadfast love of God that was better than life. So let's, for a moment, if you will, pause with me and let's just meditate and reflect on the love of God. I just want to make this applicable for a moment. I just want to you're in my office right now and get my couch out here. I'll sit on it. I'll put my feet up on my table like I do. And we just have a moment together, a little therapy session before the Lord. If your soul is heavy and burdened, first thing you've got to do is we need to release the burdens off of ourselves. First Peter 5, 7 says, cast your cares upon the Lord for he cares for you. So you can close your eyes, you can bow your head, you can do whatever. We're going to make this an experiential moment just for a few minutes because this, I believe, is a core to the whole teaching tonight. And you can take this with you and do this every day of your life. The word says you can cast your cares upon the Lord. So just for a moment, would you tell God under your breath or in your heart, however you want to do it, God, I release everyone and everything to you. I release everyone 
and everything to you. And even in your mind, you can name those people. You can name the situations. God, I'm releasing everyone and everything to you. The Bible says you can cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. And what we're doing now is unburdening our souls from all of the weight that we're carrying. We're releasing it now in a moment to the Lord. And now that there is space in our hearts, and now that there is capacity in our souls, would you just take a moment to love Jesus? Tell him in your words what you love about him. Just tell him, Jesus, I love you. God, I love you. God, I'm so grateful for you. Give me these mercies new every day. God, I love you for that. Thank you. And notice as you do, as you love Jesus, what do you begin to feel in your own heart? You begin to feel the love of God in your own heart. Because the reason that you love him is because he loves you. What do you know of the steadfast love of the Lord? Jesus, we love you. For every reason in God and for no reason. For the breath that we have today, for the faith in our souls, for the challenges and the trials. Jesus, for your goodness, we love you. And what you're doing in this moment is you're putting your roots down by the river. You're putting your toes in the sand. You're drawing from the source of the Father's heart into your soul. And what you get is the love of God that is now imparted to you. The virtues from the Lord, love, joy, peace, some of these things, they aren't things necessarily we go and find, we go and get. A lot of times they're things that the Lord himself imparts to us. He gives them to us. And the greatest of these is love. And when you are filled in your soul with the love of God, do you feel a strength? a resilience, an ability to persevere and to make it another day, that comes by knowing the love of God, which David says is better than life. If you live your life like that, you're always going to have a reason to praise. Amen? Amen. Number five, so what will you do? What will you do? David says in verse four, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. I love these words because I love when someone is decisive and declarative. David says, so I will bless you. That's what I'm gonna do. And if we don't decide what we'll do, we will resign to stay where we are and we will never get to where God is taking us. So there has to be a point in the middle of our mess that we make a decision, this is what I'm gonna do, this is who I'm gonna be, and this is how I'm gonna act. And there is a freedom that comes when you put your foot down, when you draw a line in the sand, when you make a decision, when you say thus far and no further. There is something that shifts in your spirit when you know you have now decided decided, I'm going to act as one who blesses the Lord every day of my life, no matter what comes against me. My praise will continually 
Your praise will continually be on my lips. David makes a decision to lift his hands, to praise the Lord, even at one of the lowest points of his life. What decision do you need to make? What will you do? Because places change and circumstances change. We're always looking to get back to some sense of normalcy, back to some sense of situation, back to what it used to be, back to when, whatever. But what if what's normal is constant change? What if where you're living is what's normal? What if that's, that's where we're all living? In between two places, on our way to something, not where we were, not where we want to be, but in the mix. Instead of trying to get our circumstances to align with our preferences, we ought to get our preferences to align with the will of God and begin to allow our souls to be the thing that changes, not our situation. David's choosing to revere God's glory, which is a statement that says even if he were to endure adversity throughout the rest of his life, he was committing himself to praising God in a lifetime of trusting God for deliverance. If David never came out of that wilderness, he still says, so I will bless the Lord at all times. What are you going to choose to do? Which prompts our last question. How will you do that? When you make that decision and you make a declaration that I'm going to be one who, I will now, whatever. How are you going to do that? And the picture I want to give you as I prepare to close here. The picture I want to give you is the picture of what it looks like when I took my sons out into the water of the pool for the first time. I don't know about your kids. I know some people have kids, they go run and just jump in the water and they're like fish from the start. Not my children. My children are like, what is this big blue death trap? And why did you bring me here, dad? They wanted to experience it. And they're good in the shallow end, in the, in the kiddie pool. They love that, splashing around. But when we go out into the deeper waters... They want to be held, and that's cool. They're, they're, they're young. Well, my younger ones are younger. And I, so I'll hold, like, my, my, when they're like three or four, I'll hold them out, and we'll walk out into the deep waters of the pool. And they will wrap their arms around my neck like they're trying to kill me. There will be, like, we call it koala-ing, like a koala bear holding on to a tree. Like, it's just not going to let go. And they could grab me so hard and so tight, I literally can let my hands go, and they will just cling to me. Like, they're not going anywhere. They're not sliding an inch. They are, in it for their life, they are holding on to me. And they're holding on to me so tightly because if they're really honest, they're not so sure I'm holding on to them. Because their fear is if dad lets me go, I'm going to be holding on to him so good that I don't slip into the water. But what's the truth? As they hold me up here, I'm holding them down here. So honestly, they could let go, let their hands free. They could lean back and do all that. And I would not drop them or slide them down one inch because as they cling to me, I hold on to them. What does David say? My soul, it clings to you. And so your right hand upholds me. This is the picture I want you to have as you go through your life. How are you going to get through what you're going through? You're going to cling to God like your life depends on it, knowing that the righteous right hand of your mighty God upholds you at the same time. Your heavenly father is not going to let you slip. And you ought to know that because you'd be taking your hands off him all the time, grasping for something, and yet your father holds you. 
He holds you. He holds you. So how will you do it? You will cling unto the Lord and the Lord will hold on to you. That word cling is debak. It means hold fast or cleave or stick or follow after hard. It's the same word in Genesis, to leave a father and mother. A man will leave his father and mother and debak unto his wife. Cleave or cling or what? Become one with. How are you going to get through what you're going through? You're going to work on becoming one with the Lord. You want to think like he thinks. Speak like he speaks. Have faith like Christ had faith that his father would do everything he commanded him to do. You want to move like him. You want to sound like him. You want the fruit of your life that comes off of your life to look like his. You want to debauch the Lord. Cling to him. Throw yourself into him. Allow yourself to be enveloped by him. To find yourself safe in the arms of your heavenly father. To cling to him like your life depends on it. Because surely it does. Are you tired on the inside? Is your soul dry? Are you weary? Are you exhausted? Do you have nothing left to give? Start with what you believe. Jesus says this, and then I'll close. In John 7, on the last and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and he said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. What do you believe? Where is your faith? Who is Jesus to you? Because he says, if you believe in me, if you believe I am who scripture reveals me to be, and if you're thirsty and you would come and take a drink from my life, it wouldn't just hydrate you. It will turn you into a vessel from which streams of living waters will begin to flow into every environment, atmosphere, and relationship you're in. What do you believe? What do you believe? What do you believe? Let's pray. Lord God, we love you and we trust you. And we yield and submit ourselves to you, Father. Acknowledging Jesus is the son of the living God. The Messiah that was promised. The offspring from Eve who would crush the head of the serpent and at the same time have his heel struck. We believe he is the root of Jesse. of the line of David. We believe, Jesus, you are the Holy One of Israel. We believe you're the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. God, we believe you give us a drink, not just of, of water, but of living water. We believe, God, that in your presence, we experience the fullness of joy. And pleasures forevermore. We believe 
in Jesus, the Son of God. We believe that by his death, we no longer have to experience death. We believe that Jesus took the sins of the world upon himself on the cross, all sins, my sins, and as a result made me the righteousness of God. And he exchanged places with me. We believe that Jesus is who he said he is. He's the bread of life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the door, the good shepherd. We believe who Jesus is. So I want to give you a moment. If there's someone here who doesn't believe that but is ready to, you throw your hand up real quick, or I might just ask you to come down to the altar after service. Just throw your hand up real quick if there's anybody. You didn't believe that, but you're ready to believe that. I see that hand. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Same online. If we just need to reassert our belief and our trust in Jesus and to allow that truth to feed and to fuel and to heal our souls, that's you just confess your faith in Jesus. Jesus, I believe you are who you are. Forgive me of my sins. Make me new. Make me like you. I call you today the Lord of my life and Savior of my soul. Would you heal me from the inside out? And Lord, I pray a special grace and a special blessing over all those who are here today, all those under the sound of my voice who are at their end, who are busy, tired, burned out, and ready to call it quits. May you, Lord, be a stream, a life-giving supply to them now. Would they release all things unto you and be filled with the knowledge of your love that would sustain them every day of their life. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Say amen. Amen. You're all the best.